0: Welcome to the Digital From Day One podcast. Our aim is to build a bridge by creating content that will pique interest, spark conversations, and encourage further innovations that will ultimately build a more informed and prepared pipeline of learners headed for the 21st century workforce. Hi, my name is Brendan Dickerson, and joining me, as always, is Joelle Nelson. Today, you'll be listening to a discussion with Dr. Tanja Coverdale, Associate Vice President for Workforce and Legal Technology at Nationwide. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. How are you guys? We're ex- so
0: excited to have you on. Yes. A lot of questions, a lot of things to get through today. But um, just to like start off, um, you have a very unique title at Nationwide. Can you give our listeners a little insight you know, into all that you do with your role at, at Nationwide?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am, as Brendan mentioned, an AVP for Workforce and Legal Technology at Nationwide. And basically, I am responsible for the portfolio of technologies that support two of the Office of the CEO members. So half of my portfolio supports the Office of the Chief Administrative Officer, and that encompasses human resources, corporate real estate, so technology for all of the campuses across the country, as well as aviation. So there's planes in there as well. Wow. And then the other side of the house, I also support the office of the chief legal officer. And so that portfolio encompasses legal, trial, and community programs in the Nationwide Foundation. So very vast and varied set of technologies. And it's super fun. And it's always a challenge because they're so different.
2: I mean, that's a breadth of uh, of things that you. I mean, from from uh, technology related to planes to you know what's going on with with uh, the the nationwide uh, community foundation. I'm, wow, that's that's a lot of uh, pieces to the to the pie there. <laughs> so. Um, yeah,
1: and we love it because our team touches pretty much every associate, all 27,000 associates at Nationwide is touched in some way, shape or form by our team and the technologies that we employ. So we're right in the thick of things and, and I enjoy it tremendously.
2: So let me, so did you're, you're recent to this role, right? I mean, you I am. did you start this like in the middle of all of the COVID or was it right before? I
1: did. No, <laughs> okay. I started right in the middle of the pandemic. So if you may recall, there was a period of time where Nationwide sent all the associates to work from home.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: my onboarding was when everyone was working from home. So literally, my laptop wow. showed up. at my house and it said here's your login information and here you go. Welcome to Nationwide. So I have a very unique onboarding story and situation but also one that shows that virtual work works. I have a team of about 60 associates that directly uh, report to me and I probably only have met five in person but we are delivering in, in lockstep as if we've been working together forever and so it's, it's interesting because I to I always laugh and say um, I'm somewhat like a talking head to them because they didn't meet me yet, but <laughs> we are a team and and having a great time doing it. So yeah,
2: that's wow, awesome. That's that's amazing. <laughs> we totally oh. understand
0: too, just the Zoom uh, fatigue and everything else that's been going on throughout this uh pandemic. Yeah, but you're really unique. You know, just looking at your background where. Some of our other guests have, you know, a strictly, you know, information systems and technology background. Um, but you have, you know, a wide breadth of experience, you know, from the higher educational realm, also uh, working, I believe it was at Accenture uh, early on, mm-hmm. Central State University as well, and where you're now at Nationwide. So where did your interest as an IT professional come from? I
1: love that question because I don't think, I ever really had an interest in being an IT professional. And it's funny because I've had a 20 plus career in in IT, but it it really was by accident. So when I went to college, I was actually a math major. I declared as a math major. And there came a point right before we started in freshman year where I looked at the four-year program of study and realized that's a lot of math. So I don't necessarily think I want to do that much math. And so what I did was I went through a catalog because back then we had catalogs. It's not as cool as everybody's point pointing clicking now. Right. So I literally flipped through the catalog and I'm thinking, okay, I got to choose something else. I have a four-year scholarship and I'm here to study. And so I came across what was known as information systems. And I thought, oh, this is cool because it, it and now that I understand why, but it seemed very balanced. There was an equal amount of liberal arts and sciences, and also an equal amount of business, and it just seemed like a very balanced curriculum. So I chose that, I had no idea what it was. And I chose it, and it really wasn't until two years later, because you know, in college, you start out with your gen ed, so you're not really doing your major classes yet, that I realized that information systems meant technology. But here's the kicker I had never used a computer at all, mm-hmm. ever. I didn't own one. I didn't have one. I had never, I've seen them, but I just didn't have one at home. And and so I didn't use a computer. And, but my scholarship was expiring in two years. So I thought I better figure this out. So clearly 20 plus years later, I figured it out. But what I loved about it, once I got into it, it was just like math. What I loved about math was problem solving and the opportunity to continuously apply theories and knowledge just to some sort of, and that's basically what you're doing in technology. And in terms of information systems, computer science is a little bit different because you're doing technology for technology's sake. But what you do as an IS professional is really take business situations, think about the technologies that are available and and, and you recommend technologies to help meet the strategic and tactical goals of an organization. So it's it's problem solving every single day. So STEM is is a a discipline or a set of disciplines for a reason. So I just went from the M to the T. That's
2: great. And one of the things that we've heard from all of the guests that we've had on has been this idea of, of problem solving, right? I mean, that's a huge component of the work not only really in STEM, but I think that's just the, the, the nature of work these days in general. But you talked a little bit about a problem that you solved for your for your own personal experience, which is you got into college with a major in mind, and then you realized that that's not what I actually want to do. And so you, you switched it up based on doing some research and having but still having an understanding of some things that you really wanted to do and having a, a program study that, that encompassed a lot of different things. Where did your understanding of, of higher education um, and, and kind of being pushed towards something that, you know, and understanding the things that you know about yourself that you wanted to, want to do and accomplish so that you can switch midstream and then find something that is taking you on 20 plus years down the road?
1: I think it really starts with uh, authenticity and knowing who you are, what drives you. And I always advise, and as, as you know, I had a, a long career in higher ed, in tandem to my technology career. So I always advise my students to do what they love, what makes them go, what makes them tick, because ultimately you're gonna spend the bulk of your life theoretically doing that. And so don't do a major because your counselor thinks is a good one for you or your family thinks is a good one or frankly, because your friend's in the class and it may be a good thing for him or her, but really knowing yourself and knowing what you love to do will help guide you to the right decisions for you. So I would say that's really been the theme throughout my career and really what's guided me through from company to company, because just really, where am I now? What is it that I love to do? What keeps me going? Because when you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like fun. It feels like problem solving. It feels like a game. So if you're a gamer you know, a lot of people get into gaming because it's fun to to accomplish whatever set goal is in the game. To me, work is like a game. And, and, and winning, meaning not necessarily accomplishments, but figuring out the problem for me gives me energy. So just do what you love to do. To expand
0: on that a little bit more, <clears throat> sure. I remember in a, in a previous you know, ComSpark interview, you gave some advice for aspiring you know, tech leaders, how they can kind of you know, proceed forward you know, to reach their goals. Um, one of the cool things that I, I really loved about the interview was, you know, having this New York, forget about it mentality. <laughs> uh, I, I love that, you know, because it kind of also goes with like that mama mentality, you know, that Kobe had. And yeah. you talked about having you know, the grit, the passion, you know, dreaming big. Can you discuss, I guess, some of the different challenges that you've already faced, you know, here in COVID-19? and going yeah. forward?
1: I would say being a technologist is a challenge every single day because nine times out of ten the solution that you want to employ is not going to work so you have to have that mental fortitude to keep going until you find a solution and especially in this technological landscape where innovation is a thing and everything is kind of evolving sometimes the solution that you want to propose is one that is not necessarily a popular one or one that's known so this is where that mental toughness and that grit comes, you can't necessarily worry about what it is people are going to think about your solution, whether they've heard it before, whether it's out of the box or outlandish to people. If you know in your heart that it's a good solution and it's viable, you have to stick by it and press through. So I would say one particular challenge that we faced in in the COVID-19 and my new role in Nationwide, and and I love it so much because it is such the embodiment of those three things. So I, if I recall that interview correctly, I said that everything I needed to know about being a technologist, I learned in Brooklyn, and, and it's true. So it was like the grit, the passion, and the dream big, right? Okay, that's, yep, <laughs> that's yep. what it was. <laughs> and, and I come back to it every day. So very early on in my tenure with Nishwa. now mind you have only been there five months now, so when I say early on, I'm still early on, but I mean earlier early on, <laughs> top five weeks. Okay. I'm in this new company. I've met nobody because we're all at home. So the only people I've met is is like this, right? Mm -hmm. And here comes the, I guess the, the requirement to my team, because I told you that we intersect with human resources and corporate real estate, that we cannot open our offices in New York and New Jersey because of the laws that are there until we can prove that we have a solution that our associates have done a covid-19 self check every day. So for those particular states it wasn't enough for for me to give my word and say I took my temperature I did this like we had to have a mechanism in place to do this. And I recall I mean and now I'm thinking okay so they can't we can't even open okay fine. And I recall when I first had the meeting with my team. Okay, so what are the requirements? What do we need? And and there was like, we don't know. We just saw it in an email that we need an app. And so I knew right then and there that conventional methods of having a meeting to discuss the meeting that's about to discuss the meeting to charter the project that just was not going to work this time. Mm -hmm. So I just was like, well, let's Let's get it done. That's, that's There's a forget about it. It's like, you know what? Let's make it happen. However we're going to make it happen, let's, let's get it. So got everybody in, on, in the virtual room, like in the room, on the, on the phone, on the teams, everybody from our users, because it's so important to get your user perspective. A lot of times, technologists have the pitfalls of making their own solution without including the users. It has to be equal partnership between you and your business partner. So we got them. Mm-hmm. What do you need? What do you want this to do? And don't explain it to us in technology, right? We we have that part covered. Just tell us in your world what you want to do. They told us mm-hmm. what you wanted it to do. And we just got the best minds together. I said to my team, okay, we're already overbooked. We have things that are already in flight. Get whoever from around nationwide technology who's got some some bandwidth to do this. We pulled together cross-functional teams. It was just, it was the most beautiful, I would say, organized, organically, and I call it amoebic you know how like an amoeba cell it has a structure but it's a shape shifter that's what this project was it was like a shape we got everybody and in five weeks from the moment i got an email with one line we need an app to the minute it was on people's phone took five weeks didn't know anybody but it really was that grit of like let's just get it done there are no rules right now the only rule is we've got to deliver however we deliver whatever we need to do we're gonna do it we're gonna get the best minds on it and that's the that's the fearlessness I'm five weeks in the company I don't I've not even met anybody (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like I'm already thinking I know that this is a very traditional company that has a meeting to discuss the meeting and I didn't do any of that Mm -hmm. none of it but I got the work done because it needed to be done so that's this is what it is.
2: <laughs> well, that's why, I mean, that's why they brought you here, right? I mean, that's, hey. <laughs> that's you know, and, and so one of the things that I, uh, I I read about that was, to me, eye-opening that was an interesting, but kind of problem solving on a massive scale was the fiber optic broadband network that you did oh. in the Virgin Islands. and And not only is that, huge in and of itself, but being the first in the country to service an entire state or, or territory mm-hmm. is, you know, I think our listeners need to understand that is, that is huge. But now we see that there is something that is definitely needed now, right? Because of what we're dealing with, with having to social distance and not be in the office and not being more importantly, what I want to talk about is not be in the classroom, right? And so how... Just that challenge that you faced then to what many students, parents and teachers, et cetera, face now with the lack of reliable internet connectivity, particularly in low income and rural areas. And probably had to deal with a lot of that in the Virgin islands. What are your thoughts on that, that lack of connectivity in this age of COVID and particularly for our K-12 students in these challenged areas? And I think you might be more uniquely qualified than any to provide thoughts on how we could potentially solve that challenge.
1: Yeah. You know, when COVID hit, the first thing I thought about was that project and V-I-N-G-N and how happy I was that this territory was now prepared and, and how unprepared they would have been in it, but it would have been catastrophic given the lack of of internet access that they had prior. Just so you can understand, in our terms, this was 2015, so I'm just talking five years ago. I'm not talking 10, 15 years ago. We were still on dial-up in the territory. And I mean slow dial-up. I would say DSL, but to me, it's all dial-up. And we were on five megs five years ago. And, And that was the fastest speed. That was like high speed. You can't do anything with that. And and so when I talk about being driven by my passion, going back to your initial question of really knowing yourself and what drives you, what drove me to that project is just what we're dealing with now. How can we expect people in certain areas to effectively compete academically and also professionally if they do not have technology access? You can't even apply for an entry level job on a paper form anymore. If I don't have a computer, if I don't have a computer with the proper access, I can't even position myself to be a positive contributor to my family, to my community, and to the society. It's that deep. And, the, and and I think, earlier on in my career, we talked about the digital divide, I think everyone forgot about it, and now COVID has really resurfaced that digital divide. We have students here, we think about the Columbus area, let's just let's keep it local, okay? We have students in several suburbs that when COVID hit and everyone said, go home, fine, I'll go home and use one of my mini iPads and one of my my mini laptops, and, and, or if it's not mine, at least someone in my house has at least one, two, three, four, five or X Mm -hmm. devices, I'll finish my work, easy. But then you have students in Columbus city schools that we haven't heard from in three or four months. They just dropped off the grid. And not because they don't want to, but maybe because they don't have the proper access that's needed to continue their education. So technology access, broadband access is just as, 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 as I would say, primary to a person's success as air and water right now. Mm -hmm. is that basic it is a basic need and we have got to find a way to loop in our rural areas that's what the virgin islands project was it was because the virgin islands is probably the most rural area in the united states so a lot of people don't realize it is part of the united states And we have rural areas right here in Ohio that I'm sure are facing the same thing. So our priorities need to shift away from just continuing to fortify the metropolitan areas when we have the bulk of the country that don't live in a metropolitan area. There are so many other places. And even still, I saw that Central State, where we had students who had access to the internet because we made sure that the university was equipped with Wi-Fi. That was one of the first things I did Mm -hmm. when I arrived in 2017. 2017, that's three years ago, even more, that state-funded university did not have Wi-Fi. How can we expect those students to compete? I'm sure that many, most of the other state universities had Wi-Fi, but even once we put it in, the students didn't have access to a reliable computer. Their computers were slow, the specifications were too old to handle the speed, mm-hmm. and they were unable to do their work. And then it becomes a whole cyclical thing where now I'm not doing my work, so I'm failing. I'm not failing because I don't have aptitude, I'm failing because I don't have access.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and it further creates this, this, this chasm, this chasm that really continues to divide us economically. And it's really through technology access. So one of my passions has been for a very long time, socioeconomic mobility through technology access. That's if I can put my life in a, a phrase, it would be that, particularly because of what you're saying. So what can we do? Gosh, it's really focus on creating equal access to the Internet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Wow. <laughs> simple as that right i mean that is a simple phrase but it's it's amazing that it has it still needs to be said right i mean mm-hmm. that's the, that's the, mm-hmm. the challenging thing about it wow definitely
0: so also too I think just to add on to that a little bit I think one of the terms that we also hear now is the digital pedagogy as well and one of the things you know I'm just thinking about you know when you're speaking about that equal access and equity and whatnot and just growing up where you know you're in front of the computer, you know, learning math and different things on your uh, dial-up or what, whatever, you know, device you may be using, but can you speak on, you know, just like, I guess, the practical application of when to use, you know, the digital tools as well, because, you know, it's nice to have the i and the different, you know, tools that we have, but, you know, actually using them effectively, I think, is something that is uh, sometimes not always talked about as well, too.
1: Actually, I-, I think that we really need to spend a lot more time on the various modalities of communication via the technology tools digital tools so i think of three basic levels right that people engage in probably daily we have email we have social media and and we'll have text because a smartphone is its computer in my mind and those three varying avenues or channels have Three different ways or styles of communication and people are not usually well versed in that so when you're thinking about students in pedagogy they will tend to want to email their professors in the way that they text their friends and that's inappropriate even though it's all digital right so we've got I think we're putting the tools in front of the students but we're not doing a great job in helping them understand when and how to use certain things, because when they're going to the workplace, the tools are not gonna go away, but that intelligence on how and when to use certain things needs to be more embedded. I don't think we're really doing that. We're just saying here, here's the tools. In terms of, of teaching like math and the basic things, math, um, English, history, all of those things, I, I love the media richness of the tools. As, a, as an educator as well, I, I think that the media richness adds to the ability for the students to grasp, and it also includes a wider reach for people with different cognitive learning styles. Some people are auditory, some people are kinetic, some people are visual. And so with that, when you're in a traditional face-to-face lecture mode, which is our traditional mode, that's really catering more to the auditory learner and because someone's talking all the time. But now you have some things where you have the visual learner who is getting input, the kinetic learner, because now with these uh, interactive pedagogical tools, you have to type, you have to scroll, you have to click. So now your kinetic learner is getting some input and feedback there to help someone. So I think it helps level the playing field for several different cognitive learning styles. once used correctly and in balance, I think can have a huge impact on preparing our learners for for any subject.
2: That's great. Well, Tanja, I I really appreciate you having this conversation with us. I feel like it could probably go on for another hour or so. But <laughs> we have everybody has stuff to do, so I don't want to keep you know keep you longer, but. I really appreciate you being with us today. We are, I think our listen, listeners are going to really appreciate hearing from you in, in this recording. And thank you for your time. Thank you for your engagement and your passion in the work that you are doing. And we look forward to having you back on once you do some more future telling uh, and, and do something <laughs> for it nationwide that they're like, wait a minute, we didn't know that she was telling the future at that time. Oh, I'm already
1: do... working on that. I didn't share it, but I'm already I'm Uh-oh. already freaking three years from now, I'm I'm gonna tell you it's gonna happen. It's so good too. You gotta get me back on
2: okay we'll, we'll definitely be here. Yeah, we, so if you're gonna do it in three years we want you we, we need to get you back on sooner than that so yeah you can let us know what the future is going to be so i'm going to do it in
1: a year and a half like two years all So right you're going
2: to get me back in six months there you go all right <laughs> we'll do that we'll do that all right thank you again and and we'll, we'll look forward to having you again
1: thank you <laughs>
2: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Digital From Day One podcast. Make sure to visit our website at go.osu.edu forward slash digital day one. That's the number one, where you can find out how to subscribe, more information about our guests, and more information about our team. As always, we love to know what you think. Use the feedback form on the website or shoot us an email at one at osu.edu the one is actually spelled out here or simply give us a rating on itunes and we'd appreciate if you tell a friend about our little show here too there's more to come from our guests in this episode so be on the lookout for that i'm joel nelson along with brendan dickerson and let's continue to make the connections to opportunity stronger until next time everybody